thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food real with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. In episode 142 of The Real Food Real, we are joined by our very good friend, Kale Brock, to discuss his soon-to-be-released documentary, The Gut Movie, an absolutely fascinating journey that gives real insight into health in the West and what we can learn from our existing hunter-gatherer tribes. Hi, Kale, and welcome to the show. Hey, Steph. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to the show. You're one of our favorite guests here on The Real Food Reel, and we've obviously got you back on today to talk about the gut movie. So let's set the scene for our listeners and tell us what is the gut movie. Sure. Uh, I feel like I feel very comfortable on The Real Food Reel. I feel like I've got a little seat in the corner, like a regular seat in you the do. room. You do. Yeah, you've got your own little powder room as well. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Um, the movie, the movie is all about poo and the future of medicine. So, um, as you, as uh, listeners will know who have heard me before, um, my whole thing is is gut health and uh, the microbiome, and um, playing with that idea and, and discussing interesting facets of the whole gut equation. And basically, the movie is an extension of that. And um, the the storyline is uh, I actually put my microbiome to the test and go and get it tested and then um, see how much I can manipulate my microbiome by traveling to Namibia in uh, Western Africa and um, going off into the desert uh, well away from modern civilization and living with a tribe over there called the Sun uh, for a week and seeing how um, living as a hunter-gatherer actually changes my microbiome. So it's a fascinating experience both uh, scientifically and also um, I suppose emotionally and, and in a more esoteric manner as well. Um, it was a pretty fascinating experience and uh, if you've seen Mad Max, <laughs> we got to the second one, we got to film um, all those sand dunes uh, that they film in and all the, the beautiful scenery that Namibia has to offer. So it was a pretty incredible trip and um, and of course I got to interview some pretty amazing experts uh, on the way. So yeah, no, the movie, like I said to you before we started recording, uh, it's taken on a different track to what I thought it would. Um, I managed to convince a very successful uh, director and editor to to come and help me out. And he's been um, really instrumental in, in reworking the story post uh, Namibia. So working it with voiceover and stuff like that. So we've got a really, really professional, uh, visually beautiful film, which I think is going to hit the nail on the head with the, the gut enthusiasts, but also bring in people who are just um, sort of blank slate in that area. And that's what's so exciting, obviously, because, you know, you're preaching to the converted a lot of the time with what, you know, you do with what I do. And it's great to be able to reach an, another audience that perhaps actually don't know much about the microbiome and its influence on our health and well-being. So I've only seen small snippets online. Obviously, I've watched the trailer, which listeners can head to the show notes 
to view if they haven't already and it looks gorgeous. I'm definitely mm-hmm. looking forward to seeing it myself and hearing more about your experience today. But just to sort of rewind for a minute, why did you want to investigate this particular tribe um, and give us some context as to what science shows us that hunter-gatherers have in their guts that maybe we do not? So if you've um, looked, if you are sort of familiar with the gut story, if you've um, followed the work of Dr. Jeff Leach, um, or is it Professor Jeff Leach? Oh, it's Jeff Leach. Maybe his name, I don't know. Yeah, Jeff Leach. (laughs) And he's um, part of the American Gut Project, and he's been uh, living with the Hudsa in Tanzania, doing microbiome research with them and um, showing some pretty fascinating results in terms of their microbiome diversity being uh, significantly um, <clears throat> higher than us in the West or larger than us in the West or more varied than us in the West, I should say. And um, that's generally regarded as a, a sign of microbial health or microbiome health. And um, he's been tying that back to, you know, constant environmental interaction so in, and interacting with the soil and um, the bugs on the food and not having, you know, chlorine-washed food and all these different things and um, being exposed to uh, animals and, and livestock and all these different things. So they've got these incredibly diverse microbiomes, almost like a, like a rainforest. And when you look at us in the West, um, comparatively speaking, we have a very small amount of diversity in our gut bugs. And you could argue that's from a um, that comes from a, a variety of different reasons. So, for instance, our, our use of antibiotics or our misuse of antibiotics has been well documented uh, in the past five years or so. I think um, that's definitely having a massive impact on how many gut bugs we have uh, or or the variety of gut bugs we have in our gut. Um, There's a lot of gut and a lot of bugs and a lot of variety there. I'm going to try and use some different (laughs) words. (laughs) But basically when we um, take antibiotics, we wipe out certain populations of microbiota and some of those guys don't grow back. If you followed the work of um, Professor Martin Blazer, at um, New York University, he talks about missing microbes. So we're potentially uh, irrevocably damaging the gut microbiome and we're um, wiping out species of bacteria that we don't know really their function in the body. For instance, H. pylori is a is a um, bacteria that's typically been associated with stomach ulcers, but it's also been associated with um, regulating appetite and training the immune system. It just depends on the amount in your system. So there's this whole um, theory now about uh, missing microbes and how can we actually replace those microbes that we may have lost permanently and who do we go to to do that? Who do we go to? Because the whole of Western society basically has been exposed to antibiotics on some form, you know, whether it's in tap water or whether it's in foods um, coming from, you know, the massive amounts of antibiotics we use in in livestock production or – you know, it's just uh, as a pesticide or whatever the, on our on our food, or taking it from the doctor. You know, so where do we go to actually replace these microbes? And that's where this whole story is um, leaning towards looking at primal uh, populations, people who are living 
a very traditional lifestyle and who have not been exposed to antibiotics or been exposed to very little antibiotics. And that's where these traditional hunter-gatherer societies come in to the argument, um, can we actually go to them and source those bacteria? Which is an incredibly romantic notion for me, you know, that these tribes who are living, um, quote unquote, in a very simple way in um, the non-Western world uh, could actually save us from our health woes, you know, and that's why it was very interesting to me to go and live with them, um, this tribe who are living traditionally, who are hunting for their food, who are gathering their food, um, who have very little, if any, access to Western medicine um, and who are constantly in um, interaction with their environment. It was really interesting for me to go there and see how they live and then also test their microbiome, you know, and actually get my hands dirty and go in there and actually collect their poo myself, which makes for pretty entertaining viewing uh, in the film. But uh, we did that and we uh, brought their microbiomes back and lo and behold, they had incredibly healthy microbiomes. And, you know, these are people still a lad who um, – when they do receive a little bit of money, uh, because money is almost not really a thing to them, but when they do receive a little bit of money, the first thing they do, unfortunately, is um, they go into town and they buy like a, a couple of bottles of soft drink, you know, because that's their exciting thing. Um, so even though that's the case, um, they still had these incredibly uh, varied um, anti-inflammatory microbiome signatures, which was pretty fascinating to see. And um, obviously, the science is still pretty young and that's why for me it's so exciting because it incites a discussion it doesn't incite like recommendations but the discussion is you know can these um populations actually help us restore our, our ever dwindling gut health at the moment yeah it's so fascinating and i love what the american gut project are doing in terms of you know they're actually analyzing the microbiome across the world and looking for the the you know the commonalities and obviously the areas where there are the significant missing microbes and plotting that on the world map which you know they're they're doing so much in the space of of research and it's definitely allowed us to get some more context as to you know what areas are of the world are actually thriving and why and then obviously the natural opposite is true with when we're seeing a lot of disease um, linking that back to what the microbiome is in those areas of the world. And obviously then when we look at the hunter-gatherers and they're living very traditionally from the land, um, it, it does make a lot of sense as to why they are so much more healthy or healthier than um, maybe yeah you or I or people that are, are very Western in, in their life. Mm, I think it's fascinating. And, you know, there is that whole argument that, oh, but these tribes don't, you know, they don't live long lives because they get an infection and then they die and stuff. So I think what we're going to end up at is this um, intersection of uh, these primal values in terms of how we interact with the environment and how we eat and live with a modern society. Because, you know, medicine is good at keeping you alive. It's just not very good at helping you thrive. And um, I think when we arrive at that cross point where we can actually tick off all the boxes and move away from a pharmaceutical-based um, health approach, then we're really going to start thriving. And that's why it is really exciting to see um, not only, you know, individuals like 
like yourself and me getting excited about the gut, it's also institutions and um, educational systems and even governments getting excited about it as well because we know when we have that much momentum that change is on the way. And, um, yeah, I think it's incredibly exciting and, and deserves a lot of attention. Yeah. So tell us more about what your life looked like when you sort of packed up and, and moved to Namibia and how you lived when you got there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a beach kid, so going <laughs> off into the desert was <laughs> a little bit challenging. But yeah, in, in, in Namibia as well, there's actually a, a world-famous wave, like one of the longest waves in the world, and uh, it very rarely breaks. Um, but about a week out from the trip, uh, when, you know, everything was hectic, trying to organize like permits and, um, you know, dealing with, a an African country, you know, in Africa, it's, it's a different pace essentially. Mm. You know, I've, I've spent a lot of time in, in Cape town in South Africa, you go out for lunch or whatever you order and you sit and you wait and don't get impatient because <laughs> they're on Africa time. Um, so, so obviously trying to organize filming permits and, um, all these different things before the trip was just like this hectic <laughs> time. And luckily I had a friend of mine who's a um, Africa tour coordinator, um, Dennis from Africa with Grace, and he was able to um, help out and uh, organize all that stuff. So my, my camera guy calls me like a week out from the trip and he's like, yo, my pro surfer friend just told me there's going to be a swell at this place. <laughs> and so like this threw a big spanner in the works because we were like um, – you know, we're there to film. We've got to film the movie. Like, I don't know if we're going to go to this wave, but it's the best wave in the world. We don't have boards. What are we going to do? Oh. So this, there was this whole thing as well um, just thrown in there. But essentially, we arrived in Namibia after about three days of traveling or two days of traveling. Then we spent another whole day um, traveling out to an extremely remote part of the country um, in the northeast, which is essentially near the Okavanga Delta where you see all these safaris doing their trips with the lions and um, elephant and, and all these different African animals. And um, the the Bushmen live out there, essentially. Um, no fences, no gates. This is where lions roam. And we rocked up and um, the contact we had there who helps run this this uh, foundation, the foundation is like a living museum, essentially helping these people continue to live their traditional life style and he said yeah um so you know just be a little bit careful because uh yesterday the tribe found a a, a, um, a kudu carcass so this lion had killed a kudu like um a, you know a couple of hours away <laughs> so we were kind of like hmm what have we got ourselves in for mm. and you know first night there's like hyena um running around the campsite and making all the scary noises and we're just like oh god and then um you know we woke up and, and we were greeted by these incredibly friendly, very small in stature, um, people like very short, uh, primordial people just wearing, you know, a little loincloth and, and whatever. And, and they were very keen to show us around. And only one of them spoke broken English and he became our guide, uh, for the week. And, um, the first thing we did, we went out and, and gathered a bunch of, um, bush food, you know, digging things up from under the ground, you know, and we were looking, across the field and there was no way you could recognize um, one plant from another but these guys knew where things were and I remember one of the key um, foods that we harvested from the ground was um, something called a water root and we were like super thirsty because we've been walking all day and you know we were sort of <clears throat> trying to find these certain foods that were going to be visually really interesting for the camera and they said oh we'll just stop for a moment and we're like we're really thirsty what are we going to do so our one of our guides just starts digging in the ground for like 10 minutes and um 
we didn't really know what was happening and they're all just chilling out. You know, it's a very slow pace. Everyone's just, you know, talking and hanging out. And he pulls out this massive um, tuba, like this big, it was almost like a drink bottle shape. And this is in the film. And he brings it out and um, cuts it open and it's like a cucumber. It's this incredibly moist thing. And this is in a really dry um, desert and yeah. it's got this really moist root. And um, he basically passed it around and we all cut out chunks of it with all the dirt still on it and um, and ate it up, you know. And then the other guys, <laughs> they, they, they squashed it down and then squeezed all the water out of it as well. So, you know, it was just fascinating to see these little things that for them is, is part of their everyday life. But for us is this complete novelty. And for me, you know, part of this whole experience was – highlighting how far removed I was from a natural or really what is a natural life, even though there is this natural progression of humanity into, you know, technology and cities and all these different things. I think it's really important still to interact with the natural environment. And that was something that um, this certainly persisted uh, since I've gotten back. And, you know, we also went hunting and um, got to dance around the fire and just do what they do, which is a lot of relaxation. You know, it's not a lot of stress in that environment. And they're very, very happy people. And um, they walk around, you know, pretty much nude and no, nobody cares. And all the women sit at their fire and the men sit at their fire. And all the, the men are all quiet and somber and the women are just chatting and laughing. It's this incredibly nice dynamic that was amazing to be a part of. And I hope that it, it continues to um, to be that way for a long time. So was it Dennis that put you in touch with the hunters and did they welcome you into their community like, like you were one of their own? It was Dennis. He was able to organise it because he's been um, travelling to Africa for, mm. you know, 10, 10 years and running tours there. Um, so he got in touch with the foundation and they said, yeah, we've just got to clear it with the tribe. So they go and they tell the tribe and they have their meetings. And, um, yeah, they basically just accepted us in and they'd go off and do a couple of their things at night where we'd go, I'd go back and sleep in a tent because there were death adders and scorpions and all these different things around that I didn't really particularly feel uh, was necessary for the movie. <laughs> so we, um, yeah, it was, it was a really cool experience. They were very welcoming. And, you know, when we left, they said, go and come back, go and come back. You know, they were very, um, just a beautiful people. And you look around like when, um, you know, first thing in the morning or whatever, they all wake up and so they get up and I mean, you've got 60 year olds who are walking around with like shredded abs and, yeah. and it's just amazing to see, you know, <laughs> it was. Well, they really... don't have clocks on mobile phones and it doesn't sound like they have no. much stress. <laughs> no, mm. no. So that was really cool to see how, um, um, agile and and functional they were uh, even up until uh, older age and they're still a, a very important part of the community you know one of the older guys who was 70 years old was leading the hunt we went on wow. you know tracking a kudu all day and um, yeah it was just an incredible experience and to be able to capture that on film it was almost like a dream I mean when I started it totally wild years ago I would never have thought that I would go to Namibia and be filming with a tribe and living with them it was it was very so surreal mm. And this might sound a little bit naive, but do they understand, like, I guess the size of their um, input and what impact they can potentially have with regards to the science? I don't think so. Yeah. No, because I, I remember it was almost we, there's this awkward moment in the film where <laughs> I basically asked them, you know, we hadn't organised to, to test their poo beforehand because, you know. <laughs> it might have been a little bit off-putting. 
Yeah. And dealing with the Namibian Film Commission, we didn't want to say, hey, we're, we're coming over to test the poo and we're going to bring the poo home. <laughs> so, wow. um, How did you get it back out, by the way? Uh, we did have um, an import permit. Okay. Yeah, so it was all done sort of sort of by the book. <laughs> <laughs> so I, there was this moment where I was like, um, so I need to test your poo. <laughs> <laughs> So we had this discussion around the fire and then um, you could see as the translation came through, there were, I was around the, the women's fire at this point and um, you could see as the translation came through, the women's face go from this big smile to this look of incredulity, just like, is this guy serious? He's going to take our poo? So um, we, the women were out. The women were like, no, no, not happening. So we went over and we, we spoke with the men. And um, the men were sort of weirded out and they were laughing and they're like, yeah, that's fine. You know, it's no worries <laughs> it were in their own language. Mm. And, um, you know, the next morning I went out and followed them to where they did their poop and, and gathered up their poo in, into our little testing kits and they were sort of standing there awkward and they're saying, yeah, um, one of them said in, in very broken English, um, sometimes I, I drink from the – uh, from the veld. So, you know, he was sort of thinking parasites and all these different things where I don't think they, they would realize the importance of it. And, you know, I hope that um, doing what we did doesn't compromise it in any way, and I don't think it will. Um, but, yeah, I, hopefully it brings prosperity, prosperity to, to that sort of area, you know, and enables them to continue to live the way they do because it's so special to see them living in such a cohesive, um, relaxed, happy environment. But it's interesting that you say that though because, I mean, how do they want to benefit from something like this? Like I, please don't give them money if they're going to buy a soft drink. You know, I, that's where it's a little bit challenging. I know and it's this big thing because, you know, part of going there is you you pay the foundation you know you you give them you give money to the foundation to go there and um you know if that money is being spent on soft drink you're almost a little bit um hesitant to do that so i think um hopefully what does come out of this is that um they feel more empowered and and proud of of living their traditional lifestyle um it is you know and that's part of the whole world's problem, you know, is that there's these um, multinational corporations who have infiltrated every part of the world and unfortunately take advantage of people who are less educated about um, health and well-being, you know. And when and when Coke and um, Sprite are failing in the West, they're naturally going to go somewhere else and, and pawn off their stuff somewhere else. And that's just what pharmaceutical companies do when they have a failed drug. Um, so, yeah, it's it's this big thing. But at the same time, you know, these guys have to walk 25 kilometers into town to get this soft drink. So, and they're not going to be buying cars anytime soon. So, um, you know, I, th I hope that uh, any benefit does go to continuing their lifestyle and, you know, hopefully building a, another well or, or establishing um, more sustainable tourism or, or things like that. Yeah, fascinating. So, tell us more about the science, how you were actually analyzing the samples and who you worked with. So we worked with Smart DNA. So Dr. Margie Smith down in Melbourne, um, uh, she's a molecular geneticist, and she's uh, provide she provided us with about six kits uh, to go away with, and they're essentially just little um, 
four or five centimeter uh, tubes where you take like a long earbud and you stick it in your poop and you um, then scrape that off into this little tube. And then we brought that back and um, amongst the lab, uh, the Smart DNA crew actually analyzed the genetic material. And I can only go so deep into this because I'm not a molecular geneticist, but they analyzed the genetic material. They don't use a culture medium. So previously, there's been um, the only way to test microbes was to, or test a gut bacteria was to um, see what grew on a culture plate after you put it there. Whereas when you analyze the um, genetic material, as far as I can understand, you get a much more accurate uh, reading of what's actually in the gut microbiome. So in the movie, we focused on um, anti-inflammatory micro- microbes versus inflammatory microbes and microbial diversity. So those were our three main things to look at. But within that, if you actually look at the data, there's um, information on very specific microbes. And something that was interesting about my microbiome beforehand was that my diversity was uh, quite low. And, you know, I actually I wasn't too surprised at that because um, I had taken so many antibiotics when I was younger. Um, But post-movie, my microbial diversity had uh, jumped quite significantly in the positive direction um, to a point where I actually began to look like an African. So it was very, very interesting to see how quickly that was actually uh, changed. And in terms of my inflammatory profile, that remained um, pretty similar beforehand um, and after. But uh, it was interesting to see as well that I had um, a slightly elevated inflammatory microbes, but I had very high or, or very powerful um, anti-inflammatory microbes. So, Fecalium, Fecalium bacterium prasnutsi, I think is the one. This is termed the probiotic of the future, very early days for that one. I had a very significant amount of that. So, um, I was in a relatively good space already with, with my gut health, which I suppose is not surprising, um, but it was even better when I came back from Africa and that really um, solidified a few ideas for me. And um, yeah, I mean, we can, yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, since I've come back, I've really um, embraced that whole uh, thing about interacting with the environment and being very connected to my food supply and mm. uh, I've started, you know, doing some fishing, which is my own version of hunting. I don't know if I could pull off a, a hunt just yet, a land-based hunt, but I've been going doing some fishing and um, this might sound a bit weird, but harvesting seaweed at the beach, you know, eating sea, uh, sea lettuce and doing all these things to actually expose myself to um, the various microbes in my environment and just live a bit, live a bit more dirty. <laughs> what do you mean that you started to look like an African? So in terms of my microbial signature, um, especially when it comes to microbial diversity, yeah. um, I was I started to become a lot more African. And in the movie, we visually show that. So we have um, a diversity plot um, showing the microbial diversity. And I was originally um, in the low section. And the Africans, we show them um, the three sun that we actually took poo from. Um, they're over, way over in the other areas, mm. in the high diversity areas. And uh, we show where I actually move um, when I came back. And it was quite fascinating to see I actually moved way over to the other side of the diversity plot only in a week. So it was just- yeah, so I've got some questions about the duration, but I literally was visualizing that you meant um, physically you started to look more like an African. <laughs> so I came back and now I'm just wearing loincloths. Oh, you are uh, very tanned at the moment. <laughs> oh, dear. 
Um, so duration wise, so what are your thoughts on the week? How did you decide that seven days and did you know it was going to be enough time? No, I mean, the, and it purely came down to what well, wasn't not purely, but um, most of it came down to logistics and not even um, and budget. You know, it's not yeah. it's not a cheap thing. Um, this movie is all self funded, so I paid for the whole thing, and you know we're pretty deep at the moment. <laughs> you know? So um, it was yeah, it came down to that as well. But I figured um, if it, if the gut and gut bacteria are as important and powerful as what we've been saying, then a week is going to be long enough. You know, but as as um, the experts in my in the film um, say, it is the long term diet which will have uh, the most critical role on your health and well being. Um, but as a demonstrative uh, experience or example, uh, having a week with the sun to test if my microbiome changes was turned out to be enough. Yeah, fascinating. And like you say, you can take those principles with you. I think a lot of us are going full circle now that we know what we know to try and integrate some of the East back into the West. And I think obviously you've been doing that yourself, um, but you know more so now that you've seen firsthand how that changes your entire health. It does. And, you know, it's not just, excuse the garbage truck, which is running past my house at the moment. Um, it's not just from a dietary perspective as well. You know, it's that, and you, you always, um, uh, tease me for, for being pretty relaxed and living a pretty slow life, mm. but um, even more so, you know, I, mm. I think that we're just living at a pace that is, to be honest, unsustainable. And some people, very few people, I think, uh, truly thrive on a very high-paced life. You know, they might think they do, but I think um, when it comes to health and well-being, a lot of people don't. Um and, you know, I suppose you can manage a high-paced lifestyle and, and sort of um, undo the damages associated with that, with a healthy lifestyle or with health and nutrition and stuff like that. But for me, it's it's almost like now I'm questioning what's the point of, of rushing around and trying to um, become this great version of a Western human being. It's like, no, I don't want to do that. You know, this is – society is very um, – I think it's a very interesting place. And without getting too esoteric about it, I think it's uh, society is very good at creating humans who behave and um, and feed the system with, with their taxes, you know, and I'm not interested in doing that. I just want to live a creative life and, um, and be happy socially, you know, and that was really inspiring um, to be with the sun with that because I think a lot of their health benefits would come from community because, you know, there's 20 to 25 people in that community consistently and um i think that's an incredibly important part of their perceived health and well-being um because they have that constant engagement and they're all um they all feel like they have a purpose and they all feel like they're um socially important valued Mm. yeah valued and and that's, I think, rare. That's getting more rare. The the more we feel connected, like with social media and stuff, I think the less we are actually connected in real life. So that's also a big part of what I'm doing now. We just had um, Emma's parents up for a week and normally I'd be like, oh, a week of not doing much because we've got guests. Whereas this week I was like, yeah, all right, whatever. I'm just going to town. I won't do any work for a week. Like it was you know, and I, I really appreciate that. And I do that consciously now. It's not just like a cow's being lazy. It's like cow's being consciously lazy. 
<laughs> any excuse. No, I'm kidding. I appreciate the benefits. Absolutely. More surfing, more surfing, more surfing. More surfing. Yeah, yeah. Um, just on the dietary side of things, um, how different was it in terms of macronutrients in comparison to how you normally eat versus what you were eating in Namibia? Yeah, super interesting. So, like, massive carbohydrate. Yeah, I uh, thought you'd say yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So, massive carbohydrate uh, intake um, from vegetables, you know, essentially. Yeah. Um, very plain, not sweet stuff. You know, the only sweet things we were having were these little berries that, um, you know, if you ate 10 berries, it's probably equivalent to, like, uh, one-tenth of an apple. You know, it was just this tiny amount of flesh on these things, but they tasted so delicious. Um, so that was the only sweet thing we're having. The rest of it is just starchy carbohydrates, you know, and then when we do, um, when, when the hunters or uh, are successful in a hunt, which is quite rare, um, it's also, it turns into a high protein, high fat diet, you mm. know, and there's this fluctuation between them and, um, there's certainly much more value from them placed on the animal protein. So that's really where that when they're happy, the tribe celebrates when they can get an animal. Um, but they, they subsist on the, the plant starches in between. So that was quite interesting to see. And, um, you know, I think obviously their microbiomes uh, probably reflected that and helped them thrive in that. So obviously their gut bacteria would have adapted in a way that helps them deal with so, so much starch. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to recommend that to most people. I mean, you know, we've talked about this before. If you just go ahead and start eating all this resistant starch, but you've got no good bacteria to feed, then, you know, what's going to happen? You're probably going to end up with worse gut health. You know, so these guys are, um, yeah, living off plants mostly and then, and then the odd piece of animal protein thrown in there when they when they kill a kudu. <laughs> but I think that's what's really fascinating because, as you know, there are a lot of um, arguments against, say, lower carbohydrate approaches, um, especially when we see um, tribes like this thriving on higher carbohydrate. But it's the microbiome that's different that allows them to digest that sort of food and to stay lean, like you mentioned, the 60 and 70-year-olds that probably have 6% body fat. So we've got to keep that perspective in mind. We can't pick up their macronutrient ratios and put it in the, you know, in the east, or, sorry, mm-hmm. in the west and expect it to, to correlate to thriving and, and wellness. Exactly. And, you know, I'd also point out that these guys are having um, non-GMO, all-organic, mm-hmm. fresh food fresh versions of those foods mm. um, and cooked in and enjoyed in a very happy, relaxed community setting, which, you know, changes the entire situation. There's no eating disorders or orthorexia, I don't imagine. <laughs> no, not at all. Mm. Very, very cool. And just on, you mentioned some experts. So we know that you're working with um, Margie. Is it Margie Smith from Smart yeah, DNA? Smith. Yeah, beautiful. And um, I believe you had my favourite, Professor Thomas Barodi. Tell us a little about him and um, your experience with the prof. He's one of the most um, uh, eccentric human beings uh, that I've ever met and uh, certainly pretty Einsteinish. Um, we, we headed into his office. For those of you who don't know, Professor Thomas Barodi is <clears throat> the man who um, pioneered um, in a large way uh, fecal microbiota transplantation or poo transplants. He's been doing it for about 28 years and um, he's done about 13,000 transplants. And some of the stories he was coming up with were incredible, you know, to the point where he had um, three MS patients who he treated for their constipation but then found their MS disappeared 
and you know, and this is um, persisting 15 years later. You know, stories like that that just leave me going, why isn't this mainstream? You know, why is there this taboo around poo? It's just so stupid. And, um, you know, that's poo transplanted from a, from a quote-unquote healthy Australian. It's not coming from a primordial, primal um, population like the sun. It's just coming from a healthy Australian and it's, you know, reversing MS. It's like, what? That sort of stuff is insane. So we went and saw him and we actually got to film an FMT procedure take place. You know, and the patient came in and, and literally had poo pumped up their bottom into their bowel. Um, so it was this fascinating experience. I never thought that I'd get to see that. And it's very raw. You know, it's 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 a very raw experience and, and procedure. And I guess um, part of the intention with going to film with him, um, what, and he doesn't let many people film with him. He's very, very specific. When I told him the concept of the film, he was very open to it. And I know he's very excited to see it because he, he loves he loved the trailer and he's loved all that we've sent him so far. Um, but the reason we wanted to go and do that was to sort of try to break down um, society's sort of uh, irkiness at something like that. Yeah, I know? agree. People are so yeah. funny about poo. It's crazy. We all poo. Everybody poos. Taylor Swift poos. <laughs> Kelly Slater poos, like everybody poos, you know, and in the poo, <laughs> this is quite funny, um, you know, even Hippocrates said that all disease begins in the gut and part of your gut is the bowel and that's where your poo is and um, if you've got a toxic bowel, you're probably going to have um, poor health, you know, you're going to have toxins reabsorbed into the system and um, you're not going to be typically healthy and this is why reestablishing or uh, completely replacing the bowel flora has such a significant impact on the human. And, um, you know, I think that is honestly, for me, that is probably one of the most exciting parts of the movie is seeing that and how um, advanced and how promising that is when we are still unfortunately suffering from the n- monopoly of our health system by pharmaceutical companies. I, I can't wait. I hope the movie goes viral just for that reason, you know, just to, to kick them off the off the post. Um, and then we also chatted with, I was down in Melbourne um, and went to the Murdoch Children's Research Institute and and chatted with Professor Mimi Tang, who, um, if you don't know, uh, was the lead researcher and organizer of the peanut allergy study, which received worldwide attention. Um, and she was able to reverse peanut allergies using probiotic oral immunotherapy. So um, we chatted with her and got the lowdown on her experiment as well. And, and she's a incredibly um, intellectual human being. Um, so, yeah, it was it was incredible. And we chatted with Damo as well. I think we got Dr. Damien Christoph in there as well um, and Professor Margie Smith. So those are our four main experts. Fascinating. Yeah, very, very cool. Can't wait to hear more. So tell us about where we can actually like learn more about the film and obviously you've got some screenings coming very soon. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're, are you, you, I sent you a ticket, didn't I, for the you Melbourne? You did, absolutely. Are you coming? Absolutely. I need to get some more tickets off you. Ah, good, good, good. <laughs> so we're um, I'm taking the movie around Australia. We're doing eleven different cinemas. So for some reason, um, I decided to 
challenge my non-stressful life with a stressful decision to um, take a movie around to 11 different cinemas around the country and um, spend all my money doing that. And um, I, the reason really I wanted it to be in a cinema to begin with and not do the whole like um, let locals organize screenings in a community hall and things like that is because the movie's so visually beautiful and um, auditorially beautiful, I think is the right word, that um, I think it needs to be in a cinema. If, if you really want to experience it the, the first time. Um, so that's why we're doing that. And we've got some beautiful cinemas and stuff. But if you can go and check out dates and locations on um, kalebrock.com uh, or you can go straight to like kalebrock.com.au forward slash gut movie or you can just follow me on social media. I'm sure you'll see it because I'm going to have to keep doing some promotion. <laughs> I love how honest you are. I'm pretty sure everyone can acknowledge what you've put yourself through and obviously the the size of the project and mm. we're all very grateful that you continue to be um, you know, very passionate about this area of health and wellness and share your knowledge with all of us. I'm super excited to see the gut movie and obviously you and I will get to catch up in Melbourne. Yes. Any plans for the future or are you just sort of soaking in this at the moment? Mm. Well, this is a funny thing. I have no idea what mm. I'm doing next year. Absolutely no idea. And I am speaking, I told you before, I'm speaking with some sales agents internationally to get, to get the movie out internationally and I'm um, speaking with a few TV networks as well. So I don't know where that's going to go. But in terms of future projects, I have no idea. You know, I've got a, I've got two documentaries I want to make, um, when I'm going to make them and who's going to fund them because it's not going to be me again. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, so we'll see. And, you know, I've got some some different media projects coming up like with some acting stuff and you you know I love doing some funny stuff and comedy so um that's all in the pipeline as well I'll just see where it goes but who knows next year maybe I'll just end up surfing all day and not doing much else well hopefully the gut movie will be taken up you know overseas and that you can really really spread this message outside of Australia and that you'll be very busy doing all that for another year or more yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. All right, buddy. Well, great to have you on the show again. Thanks for your time. Look forward to seeing you in Melbourne. And listeners, please head to the show notes to find your dates in your city and head to calbrock.com to find out more. Thanks, Steph. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.